I'm continually amazed and delighted by the people that I meet throughout my business life and what I do. I had the great joy of meeting my next guest uh, relatively recently, a couple of months ago. And he's a financial planner, but don't let that debut disguise confuse you. He and his team have done amazing things to impact the lives of many others. He himself has a great story uh, coming from South Africa, etc. But it's best that we let him tell the story, as well as share some of the things that he's done through his charitable work with The Growth Project. Let's go to the show and find out more about this episode's special guest. Welcome to the Get More Success Show. Success by the size of his wife. Let's It's showtime. 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 And now, here is your host, Warwick Mary. Welcome back to another episode of the Get More Success Show. Now, today I have the international man of mystery. He has lived all over the planet, comes from a different part of the planet to where he lives now, and has done some very interesting things. I got to know him not through his advisory group, the Priority Advisory Group Financial Planning Business, but through his growth project where he gives to the community. He is a man of great depth and great spirit and someone who I would like to refer to as my friend. Please welcome to the show, Larry Finkelson. Welcome to the show, Larry. Thank you, Warwick. Pleasure and uh, honour to have been asked. Hey, uh, now I like I want to start this as the way I do with every show, and that is to ask you: How do you define success? Someone who's achieved different levels of uh, success in both business, community, and in sport, because I know you're an avid baseball player. Uh, how do you define success? It's probably changed over the years, Warwick. But if I set a more generic definition and then come back and share where I'm at, is probably a contentment and satisfaction wherever you're at at a stage of life. Um, when I think about success, clients, myself, friends, success to me is whatever you choose to define. So you've talked about how that changes depending on phases in life. Do you think that with different maturity, your definition of success shrinks a little bit? I, I mean, I know when I was younger, I was, I wanted to rule the world and be CEO of all these different companies. And then once I worked out what you'd have to do, I'm like, I don't want to do that. So do you think as you mature that it really shift significantly absolutely i think there's uh well i know for my life there's definitely been an evolution um as you said there's a bit more thinking that happened later in life yeah. so if i look back there's no doubt growing up the definition was the traditional material and status so sport was very high on our family's agenda and trying to be the best was pretty much what drove us on a sporting front four-generation baseball family. I'll come back and share with you if you're interested some of the successes that were achieved um, through the family. And I guess as time went by, there was the aspiration to retire at a certain age, which meant you were targeting a certain sum of money and status within corporates. And later in life, it's definitely shifted. So there was a couple of moments in my life that really shifted and changed. And I think the way I look at it now, it became a bit of a shift from success to significance. So actually saying it's now no longer chasing success to a particular articulated number or date, but really saying what significance can I make to relationships is probably where it's landed for me wow. now. I love that. I love that to, to be of significance. That's great. 
Um, and I am interested, talk to me about baseball. Four generations of baseball, shall I say, legends? Uh, there's a couple that have happened in the family that I'd probably put down as legends within our family. So we don't know why, but my grandfather, so my father's father, started playing in South Africa for a club that was called Old Eds. It was a bit of a return serviceman type club. We don't know why he played, but he did. And as you do, you look up to your parents. And my father then started playing and was pretty good at it. So very, very good athlete. My dad swam and he played a lot of sports, but baseball became what he immersed in. And they landed up being a pitcher-catcher combination. My dad was playing from the age of 16. He then progressed and landed up being a springbok back in those days in the early 70s. The apartheid and the... Um, being locked out of international sport wasn't there. So dad traveled to the States with the South African baseball team. Um, take it further to the next generation. I'm older than my brother and I started playing. I wanted to be like dad. So I played, was playing in the under 10s at the time and my mum kind of said it's enough. So she said my brother Gavin wasn't gonna play. So he was four years old um, at one of the trainings and waddled his way down to what was the under 10 B team. I was playing in the 10 A's because I was older. And somehow he got hooked at that stage and they grabbed him. So if we kind of work in reverse, Gav's been the ultimate star. So he played for Australia in the Olympics in 2004 in Athens and they won a silver medal. So mm. it got taken all the way. Um, Dad achieved. I was lucky I did achieve. Um, but Dad Gav's been the hero. And your kids, do they play as well? They did. So that's the next generation. I suppose I stopped at three. So both my boys play and both of Gavin's boys play. Fantastic. So, yeah, there's been whatever that works out in maths. Um, there's been a lot of Fingelsons over four generations. Yeah. Now, I would not have thought South Africa baseball. That's not a combination that jumps into my head. Is it, is it big in South Africa? <laughs> It's not. I think it closed up when the um, you know when South Africa was cut out from playing international sports. I think the ability for kids to look up and say that's what I want to play it ceased. So it didn't become very popular yeah. um, and wound down a bit. There's a couple of good stories these days, um, but Australia's Australia's got a bit more bit mm -hmm. attention. The Americans come out; they want to see the players from from Australia. So it's got a little bit more airtime uh, going back, which I shared back in. Back in my day, uh, 1819, there was a team called the Sydney Blues, which is the Australian Baseball League. Uh, Ian Maurice at the time used to used to be involved, right. and it became it became a bit more popular. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, talk to me about your journey uh, growing up in South Africa. But you then did you then go to London? So the the chronology was mum and dad make a made a big call and a sacrifice for us to give us opportunities back in 87. So I was 15. Gavin was 11, came to Australia very luckily in the middle of year 10. So did my last two years of school in Australia, then did a Bachelor of Business degree, accounting and finance at UTS. And then after that, I went down the chartered accounting path with Ernst & Young, which mm -hmm. gave me the opportunity to work in Sydney and in London, and then came back to Australia after that, and have been here ever since. Fantastic. There is a very large... South African community in Australia, isn't there? So do you still feel, where's home for you? No, there's no doubt. Australia's home. Um, there's no better place in the world to be. Uh, we'll never, never 
deny the legacy and where we came from, but all of our family are here and it's a beautiful, this is the country that anyone would want to live in. Um, we were from Joburg, which is a little landlocked place. So there's not a lot to go back to. There's a few motive um, things that are there that just never leave. Yeah. And other than that, this is home. Yeah. And so you've you uh, worked with um, uh, Ernst and Young, you said. So, and then you've set up your own um, financial advisory group, the Priority Advisory Group, which now has, I think, you've got about fifteen staff, something along that lines. So, what um, what gave you the impetus to sort of go? I've had enough of working for somebody else. I want to start my own my own business. So, just just from a clarity, I didn't start Priority Advisory Group. So, I bought into an existing business. Okay. Um, as it happens to be, it was my father in law and one of his business partners. But to answer your question, I'd worked in that big end of town. So, when I say that, Ernst and Young was seeing big companies. Itself was a big company. And I really looked and said, you know what, um, accounting firstly looks backwards and didn't really look forward. And it was those big corporates and existence in the big buildings that didn't appeal. So my decision was to say, I wanted to try and use my skills and engagement to be much more at the front line of individuals. So how could I take my corporate, my corporate large thinking and bring it down and make a difference to individuals' lives? And financial planning gave the opportunity to really make a difference to people's lives. And as far as the business goes, there were four people when I joined and I really had in mind, how can you bring family values and try and corporatize a business? So the business since 2001, and it was set on very strong values. Um, my father-in-law and his partner, Russell and Alan, had formed the basis of making sure that it was always the client's and the business first over one individual. And I've seen myself since as a custodian of those values and of that legacy. And the challenge and the joy has been navigating people first, not corporates first, and clients first over anything. So yes, it's a business, but it's about holding and keeping good people together that make a significant difference in other people's lives. And if you do that well, the money takes care of itself, but it's not the actual focus. Yeah, yeah. How are you going to continue on that legacy as you step back? Uh, so, as you've said, you know, you you bought into the business, took over from your father-in-law, etc., and you, you've got such strong values there. Have you got a plan in place to say, okay, so who's who's next? Who's going to be running this next? Who will continue these values as as time continues? That's a good question. And I guess I'd never really stop to think of my own succession as it's spoken about in the corporate world. Um, one of my goals is to never retire. Now, as times goes by, um, I've seen a lot of clients say, I want to retire to X date. And I've seen them then want to get back into what they were in. So I don't really plan on retiring for as long as I can be around the business. I will be around the business for as long as I hold relationships, I will. But given that we've grown such a strong team with good people, um, there's one specific person, but the team could take over from me. Um, the business is in place. The clients have been clients for a long time. But I do intend over the next five to 10 years, when you say step back and maybe you can see something in me that I can't, but I definitely plan on doing a whole lot more for society than I've already done. So there will be that balance of stepping a little bit back. To answer your question directly, there's a great team. It's a great business. Uh, there's great clients, 
and there are people that can continue it beyond yeah. me and it's not about me it's about the clients and the business and that's the thing because you have built a business versus a practice so it is about how does your organization continue succession planning is so important particularly when you've built such a wonderful organization around it and in my experience, most people who, like yourself, are the driving force behind it, do want that chance to play the elder states person to still be involved, but not have to deal with the day-to-day, you know, little bits and bobs. So, good on you for having that sort of that that forward-thinking approach about doing it. But I want to continue. Let on me just—I to... want to I interrupt you there for a second yeah. because I've seen a lot of businesses and a lot of people, and there's generally a talk of how do I get out. And the philosophy and discussion I've had with a lot of people is rather trying to work out how you get out, try and find a way that you can stay in. So mm-hmm. solid transition, I think, absolutely respects uh, the business, the people, the future, but also finds a way for you to stay connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's, that's really important because, you know, you have a strong piece of the heritage of the organization. So therefore, you, you want to make sure you're connected to it, um, and, but still allow it to grow in its next, whenever it comes to its next evolution. Absolutely. Now, you said you wanted to, uh, to step away a little from the business to do, contribute more to society. One of the, and how we met each other is through a, a project of yours called The Growth Project that you set up with um, Peter Baines uh, back in 2013. Talk to me, just give me a brief description. What is The Growth Project and how did it come about? Okay, can I go backwards and move forwards? Yeah, do that, do that. So it goes, goes back to 2013. I had been spending a lot of time with PT in his charity, which was Hands Across the Water. And spending some time in that, I'm happy to come back to what the ultimate catalyst of spending more time for society. But to answer your question on the growth project, I was very fortunate to have a coffee with Pete back in 2013. And he shared with me that a lot of small charities find him. They want to know his story is real and they want to know how he's done it. But he finds himself in a position that he's unable to give them time to help them but he wanted to help them and we had a conversation and i shared i said pete why help them one-on-one why don't you help them one-on-many and that was effectively the beginning and the seed of the growth project so what we set out to do or what we do do is bring together 10 charity leaders and 10 business leaders together into what we call a cohort and we guide them through a year's journey to collaborate, to immerse, to help each other, to have an abundant mindset rather than the typical scarcity mindset that's existed within the not-for-profit sector. So we set out, we began in 2015. It took about two years to build. We mentioned 2013 with a clear mindset of helping a hundred charities over a five-year period to 2020. And as we uh, stand and talk in June, 2020, The last cohorts will graduate in November this year. So the mission and the vision and the dream and everything that the team put together has come to fruition, which is quite an amazing position to be in. So at its ultimate piece, the growth project is about helping those that help. And the nuance and cuteness of that is you just don't know who's helping who. You know, with the charity leaders helping the business or the business helping the charity or the funders helping or the corporate, there was really an infinity type uh, loop around helping those who help. And we did that by bringing together leaders, charity and business for a personal development journey that had maximum positive social impact. So hopefully that's short enough for you to grab what it's about. 
And so tell me some of the outcomes that you've had with the cohorts over the last five years. Like uh, you've said previously about sometimes you'll get people, you'll connect like you, you connect a charity with a business and then the business person ends up going on the board of the charity and becoming quietly closely um, uh, uh, working with these individuals on a long-going basis. So what are some of the great outcomes that you've been able to generate? Um, so great outcomes, you've touched on one. I guess there's a lot of learnings, but the key outcomes are that. Um, I refer back, there was one great outcome. It's one of the business managers that had his leader go on the program. When we went back at the end and said, what did she learn? And his comment was that she's a better strategist she's a better prioritizer and she's a better mother so when you talk about outcomes it's about changing people if we're bringing together business leaders and charity leaders the biggest outcome is that we are graduating change makers or difference makers so through the experience people are connecting and getting an awareness of each other that they didn't have so the business leaders are not as aware of the social sector than they were before they immerse themselves in a room with 10 emerging charity leaders that genuinely, and this is a generalization, that the charity leaders are heart driven. The charities have been created through circumstance. And the corporate leaders we know, we generally materially driven. How do we get a promotion? How do we make more money on the whole? So to see that blend of the business leaders learning to influence an outcome because the charities have to do as much as they can with as little as people give them. And in the corporate world, you need something, you do a capex, you get money and you invest it. So outcomes have been a real awareness from both sides of each other's existence. It's been the ability for people to shift from the scarcity mindset to an abundant mindset. Uh, practically, as you've said, some of the business leaders that didn't know the charity leaders have formed lifelong bonds. And in time, as you've said, they've moved on to boards. Uh, we've seen some people in corporate realize that they should be elsewhere and they've left corporate and gone into the not-for-profit and you've seen some not-for-profits say that they need to merge or move elsewhere. So it was a leadership development experience. It's a great question. We've seen people grow and develop and it's there's a buzz in the room. You've experienced it, Warren. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, it's, and just the... The realization from some of the charities to go, I now have access to resources and the generosity of the corporates going, we have resources we will happily share with you. It just allows and and doing it not because, well, we can now put it on our website about how wonderful we are, but doing it because I really believe in what you're trying to do and you're doing amazing stuff on the smell of an oily rag. Let me help you. It's, it's fantastic to, to watch. Absolutely. And I think it's the network that you've said. It can be lonely in the not-for-profit world. You're, you're, they're, some of them have, have coined this. They've said it. They're accidental leaders. They don't have that, you know, which we've spoke about. They don't have that inbuilt capability to do what they need to do. Um, and that's it. It's to see that network that's created. It's to see their ability to tap in and... As I said, you've seen it. You can describe it, Warren. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's just, I've got to tell you, it's joyous to be part of and to see the shifting awareness and the contribution that people make. And also for the managers to sort of realize that there is more to life than striving in the corporate world and just looking at some of the contributions. 
And I think I'm going to interrupt you there, Warwick, for those that are listening. It's just Warwick's unbelievable ability that helped us adapt during these COVID times. So we were face-to-face. The program gets delivered face-to-face and there's a buzz in the room. And we made a decision to, to move it online and we needed an expert to help us do that. So having found Warwick helped us keep this connectedness and closeness through technology that we may not, well, we definitely wouldn't have been able to do it, yeah. Warwick. And it was and it was great because we were able to set up different environments that they could still get that strong sense of connection and intimacy of like a one on one conversations in a private room and then come back to the larger group. Um, and I've seen some of the connections offline after that where there is some interactions on LinkedIn and other forms of social media. So it, it is great that the the, the cohorts are really bond. So, so well. let, let's put it differently. You're a magician, Warwick. That's what it is. Um, thank it's you. The, thank you for doing it. It's it's the waves and majesty of it all. <laughs> so here's the question for you: You had your five G five year goal for the growth project for the twenty, um, sorry, for the hundred organisations. You're coming to the end of that. So what's next for the growth project? Is that it, or is it? Do you get to take a big breath because it's been seven years of commitment to make this happen? Or what's next? Have you had any thoughts on that path? Uh, absolutely. And there's, there's two paths on that. So from a growth project point of view, as we said, we started with the end in mind, uh, bring the 100 charity leaders and business leaders together. And any charity that's fulfilled its purpose, in our opinion, should no longer exist. So don't take any more resources than you need to. And how do you amplify and grow your learnings? So our intention back then was that if we were right and we could learn the impact of collaboration between the leaders on society, we should share those learnings and find a better way to create those ripples. And our intention was to then embed that into corporate Australia. So how could we teach corporate Australia generally as a word to bring their foundations or their CSR, their corporate social responsibility, or that whole giving space of their business together with the leadership that they've got inside. So rather than just give money, how can they bring the leadership piece together? That was our view back then to say, could we influence that? There's a lot of corporate world have people work and there's a concept of them dying at their desk. They want more than their day job. So is there something that we could influence that says change the way corporate Australia employs and the way people live rather than leave your business to go work in the not-for-profit sector? Could corporates create opportunities where people could do both? So that was our hypothesis five years ago. What's emerged and is happening as we speak and big plug to them is Sage, the company Sage, could see the value of this. And as we speak, Sage are developing their own internal growth program. They haven't named it yet, but let's just call it for conversation. The Sage growth program, Sage Foundation growth program is being developed to be run in Australia next year. So they will take the principles of the growth project, bring their people to wrap around charities they choose and away that goes. And to a greater admiration of SAGE, they saw what the growth project was doing in Australia and they chose to fund the growth project UK. So UK are doing another 40 charities over the 100. So it'll actually be 140 charities and 140 business leaders over seven years. And beyond that, SAGE Foundation globally is then gonna roll out this SAGE Foundation internal programs into nine countries. So from a growth project point of view, at a macro sense that we couldn't even dream of, that's happening. Bring it closer to home. Our intention with the growth project alumni 
and it was designed to have an alumni. You've heard of the birds. So we named mm. the cohorts ascending letters of the alphabet after birds so that when they get together as an alumni every November, and that's our commitment, is for one day in Melbourne and Sydney every November, for as long as one person will turn up, I will be there and we will bring people together each November to stay connected. They can identify themselves by virtue of their bird and cohort. And that's the growth project, mission, vision, and continuity for the rest of time. Yeah, yeah. It, it is amazing the impact that I think you've had. And I think for most people, we just won't know the depth of that because your, the, the charities that you've, your teams have worked with have touched so many people. So, uh, and, and as always happens, I'm getting near the end. We're going to have to wrap up shortly. But how has being involved in the growth project as well as running your own business on the side and raising a family and living life and being a husband and all that fun stuff, how has being involved with the growth pre- growth project changed you over the last seven years? How has it changed me? Uh, it's given me, I guess, the ability to live a life of significance. Um, there was that shift. It's given me the ability to show my kids what's really important, um, to take the lessons that mum and dad showed over the years of helping others and use if I can say in an unhumble way, all the lessons that I learned through business and apply them in a way that's going to make a real difference. Um, And you touched on before in the growth project, we talk about ripples. So we have helped the leaders and the ripple effect of what's being touched um, won't be seen for generations beyond anyone connected with the growth project. So yeah, What has it done to me? It's just made me realize that there's amazing people doing amazing things. And in some small way, I've had my involvement in the journey. So it's allowing me to sleep well at night, Warwick. (laughs) Fantastic. Larry, thank you so much, A, for your time today, but B, for all the effort that I know you and your team have put into the Growth Project because I've seen firsthand the impact that it makes. If people want to get in touch with you to find out more about the Priority Advisory Group or find out a little bit about the Growth Project, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Phone me. That's all about personal connection. 0407-766-700. Whatever I can do to help other people, I'm on the end of the line. Awesome. Larry, thank you so much for your time today, mate. Warwick, it's a pleasure. You've been listening to another episode of the Get More Success Show. I'm your host, Warwick Mary. Thank you so much for your company, and I look forward to hearing from you and seeing you again next time. Thanks for listening to the Get More Success Show with Warwick Mary. Continue the conversation with other successful people over at getmoresuccess.com. That's where you'll find all the show notes as well as a link to our Facebook group that we'd love for you to join. Getmoresuccess.com is also where you'll find all the information you need to connect with me, your host, Warwick Merry. Thanks for listening and until next time, enjoy your success.